What's up, you guys? It's your host, Anna. Welcome to this week's episode on Undereducated. The story I've got for you today is an absolutely incredible story of resilience and strength. While Jamie was preparing to defend her thesis and graduate from grad school, her routine OBGYN appointment took a turn that she never expected. And so began what would turn out to be one of the most difficult years of her life. A tumor, a surprise pregnancy, preeclampsia, and an 82-day NICU stay are just a few of the details of her story. Tune in and let's get a little more educated together. herself and we will get into her story. Hi, I'm Jamie. Hi. I don't know what you want me to say about myself. <laughs> Just tell us about yourself. Um, my name's Jamie. I am a mom of one and I work in tech right now. I have a background in academics and I taught for a few years and then made a bit of a transition with my life transitions and yeah, all the big things you just went through. Yeah, all of all of the goodies and um, but I actually have a background in mental health and teaching and communication, and now right now I'm just training in the tech tech industry, which is great for right now. And I've got a sweet husband of almost seven years, I guess six and a half years, and yeah, we are living in Utah and enjoying life. It's amazing. Yeah, yeah. And um, we're obviously going to get into it, but tell me a little bit about kind of where you and your husband were at before your whole journey started of like getting pregnant, all the things. Yeah. So you both were, I'm assuming, was he finished with school at this point? Yeah, yeah. So we were living in Logan and I was finishing grad school and he was working as a mechanical engineer and commuting actually, which ended up turning into him moving to the Salt Lake area. We were living long distance. Wow. I was going to say that commute every day would be brutal. Yeah. But long distance also brutal. Yeah. I know. It's kind of like mm, six is what's better. Yeah. It's hard to decide because yeah. he was working in Ogden, which was about a 45 minute commute, 45 to 50 depending. And then he got a job in Midvale and it was just too far. So we have family in the area and he decided to – stay with his mom, work during the week, and then come home on the weekends. So I was getting ready to defend my thesis, and I had a, you know, just my typical OBGYN yearly exam, Mm -hmm. and I was going to cancel it, which is the funniest thing. I was defending my thesis in two days, and I was getting all of my stuff ready so that I could run it through with my advisor the next day, and... So I was about to cancel my appointment, and then I just thought, you know, it won't take that long. I'll just go. It's not a big deal. So I went, and, you know, they fill on your stomach and push on your stomach. And she pushed on my stomach and was like, have you been feeling 
bloated or you know anything of that sort and I'm like yeah I I just assumed I had gained some weight or something of that sort my life is stressful yeah I'm like I got a lot going on you know and I'm like yeah I thought maybe I'd been bloated but then I was like oh I've probably just gained weight and she was like actually I'm actually gonna have you go and get a ultrasound and I was like, what are you talking about? Like, I'm here to get my pap smear and get out. Like, yeah, what? Like, this was supposed to take 20 minutes. What are we yeah, doing? what are we doing? She's like, I want you to get, I want you to get an ultrasound. And I'm thinking, you know, like later in the week. And she's like, no, right now. Mm-hmm. And she's, we're in the parking lot of the hospital. Her clinic was right next to the hospital. And she's like, honestly, like, just walk over. I'm going to call it in right now. And they're going to get you in. So I thought it was odd, but I didn't think much of it. And I went over to the ultrasound and they were doing the ultrasound. And, you know, the ultrasound techs can't tell you much. But she was like, okay, this is your left ovary. And it looked like a little almond. Mm -hmm. And then she's like, and this is your right ovary. And it was the whole screen. I mean, just massive. And I don't know. I, I didn't think much of it surprisingly I think my mind was just so much in I got to defend my thesis I got to get home like this is wasting my time I need to get home and do which is ridiculous no, but, but like, that's how I felt yeah 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 and I mean my head is only I, I just wasn't thinking of how severe something like that could be and then I got home and maybe 20 minutes later my doctor called me and she was like hey can you come back in and I was like, no, I'm really busy. Can you just You're tell like, me? I know. Call me in three days, like, have I not made it clear enough that I don't want to be around all of you anymore? No. She was like, can you come back in? And I was like, can you just tell me over the phone? Like, it's fine. And she's like, no, I really want you to come back in. So that's probably when it started to click for me of maybe something's not right. So I went back in and she you know sat with me and got me right back I didn't wait in the waiting room or anything and was just like you know we we found a I think she said seven centimeter tumor and um or no it was seven inches it was like the size of a small cantaloupe yeah yeah I know it's massive I found a cantaloupe that's about the same size that it was so I could contextualize and actually visualize it yeah yeah (laughs) And I was like, oh, so is it, you know, like a cyst? Or, and she was like, no, it, it's a tumor. And I was like, you're sure? Or you think it's a tumor? Or, you know, I'm 25. I, and you're like, I don't have Yeah, I don't have an ovarian tumor. Yeah. I'm a child. Yeah, literally. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So she's like, no, I know because of the consistency that this is a tumor. I don't know, you know what that means it could mean a lot of things yeah no idea yeah exactly Mm -hmm. so I'm living long distance from my husband I'm alone and Mm -hmm. I am just floored I'm thinking I'm coming in for a 15 minute 20 minute appointment gonna leave and go get back to the stuff I was doing so she referred me to an oncologist I defended my thesis and then as soon as I defended my thesis it was down to Salt Lake area I don't and even know, like, how you went from 
getting news like that to like mentally being able to defend your thesis was that like impossible or were you able to compartmentalize it kind of yeah you know I obviously you did fine because I mean (laughs) I know sometimes I'm like do they just feel bad for me um (laughs) they're like let's just pass this girl on I know I know I my advisor was and still is one of somebody that's just so close to my heart and I called him well I got home after calling my husband and you know all of that stuff and was just sitting on my couch and was like what do I do should I still do how how can I possibly focus on something that seems so insignificant now which also I'd spent two years developing this research that I was so proud of and this was actually a big moment I mean it's stressful to defend your thesis but it's also a cell it's celebratory yeah 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 yeah. you get to share this knowledge that you created Mm -hmm. and so I went back and forth of if I was even going to tell him which is silly and then I called him and I mean he obviously was so kind and was like this is nothing in the scheme of things so we don't even think about it and I just decided you know I want to do it I I don't know what's ahead of me and I'd rather get it done now before I'm in that position. Totally. So I didn't tell like any of my committee or anyone like that. And I just honestly scripted the hell out of that thing. And I knew I needed to have something to read because I couldn't think like I usually would. Mm-hmm. And then I just did it. And what's really sad about that is it didn't feel like what I wanted it to feel like. It felt like I need to get this out of the way so that I can go and start mm-hmm. s- moving on to this next thing. It was it was like a barrier, yeah. which is kind of a bummer. Yeah. Yeah, 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 kind of a bummer and something that I've learned how to cope with and, and gotten some help with that type of thing of just, you know, closing that chapter of my life that was so big mm-hmm. that got so overshadowed by all of these other things to survive and to live, you know. Yeah. So defended it. It went well, I think. I I was proud of it. I was proud that I finished it and just got through it. And then we came down to Salt Lake to meet the oncologist. And it's about a two- to three-hour appointment because they do a very thorough exam. And then they also sit you down and walk you through everything. And my oncologist is amazing. I see her every three months still, and it's she's she's amazing. And just really took the time to walk us through what was happening in my body, what this meant, what what could potentially happen because they don't know if it's um, cancerous just by looking at scans. They have to remove it or get a biopsy. And because of the size of mine, they knew. I mean, we have to remove it regardless of if it's cancerous. It's just too big. I looked I looked pregnant. I really did. And so she walked through all the if then, if this, then that. And it was as little as we'll remove the ovary. And hopefully we can remove just the tumor. She didn't think that. She's, she's like, we'll probably have to remove the ovary for sure with the tumor just because it's destroyed it. Yeah. But we could go as far as having to do a full hysterectomy if it's needed. So you kind of sign that away, which is shocking. It's wild. Yeah. Like, okay, I could be 25, 
Yeah. I literally have a hysterectomy. Yeah. Like signing away the chance of me birthing my own children. Right, like, right. That's just a wild thing to have to even, like, mentally, like, cope with. Yeah. You know, the possibility of it. Yeah, you know? yeah. I can't even imagine. Yeah, and it's interesting because I, I wasn't sure if I wanted kids. Mm-hmm. 25 felt way too young to even yeah, be thinking like, about that. Yeah, like, 10 years, like. Yeah, yeah. And, but then the thought of someone making that decision for me felt way worse than I think even if I had come to the conclusion I don't want kids I think it still would have been hard because I want to make that decision I don't want you to make that decision you know yeah absolutely so um they didn't end up having to do a hysterectomy I had a tumor and a fallopian tube and ovary removed and It's a borderline tumor. We don't have to go super far into that, but essentially I'm on surveillance every three months for the next two years. And then um, after two years, I think it moves up to six months. And then after five years, every year. And just to, you know, watch for if it will come back. Meanwhile, (laughs) little did I know, I was also pregnant. (laughs) I know. So I I think it had been about six or seven weeks, and I just still wasn't getting better. I, I was uncomfortable still. I was constantly nauseous. I just, I wasn't healing. And my doctor was very clear that, you know, after six weeks, you should start to feel like yourself. Maybe not fully, but you should start feeling more normal. And I wasn't. I just felt like complete shit to be honest I just felt horrible I felt horrible yeah yeah I'm like what is going on so I had graduation and the next day I was like I'm just gonna take a pregnancy test to rule that out it's super common to not get your cycle back after you've had an ovary removed so I didn't really worry or wonder a lot of people have asked me that like you didn't get your period after your surgery you didn't wonder and I just didn't like, because I it was super common. Yeah. yeah. My doctors weren't worried about it. No one was worried about it. So I took the pregnancy test and it was positive. So I'm trying to do the math and figure out how this happened. And yeah, I'm like, were you and your husband just floored? Like, for I, real? Oh, <laughs> my like, goodness. Uh... Complete shock. Like, yeah. truly, I I took the pregnancy test. We're still living long distance. So I'm, oh my gosh, I'm, so I'm home alone. Like, yeah. 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 <laughs> So I'm home alone, and I take this pregnancy test, and I just look at it and laugh. I'm like, you are joking right now. Like, As if to add one more thing to my Yeah, brain. like, what is happening? And, it, I mean, like I said, we hadn't really decided if we wanted kids, so it was hard. Yeah. And I have so much sympathy and I, and for people who really want it and can't have it. Mm-hmm. And I sometimes feel guilty that I got it and didn't want it necessarily I mean I love my my son and don't get me wrong but it was something that I had to really accept and cope with with. and come to terms with so find out I'm pregnant think I'm like four weeks pregnant maybe and then we called my doctor and she's like well let's not get you in till you'd be a little bit further along so we could maybe see something So we waited a couple weeks and went in, and she started the ultrasound, and I'm, like, looking at the screen thinking I'm going to see a seahorse, and I see fingers, and I see toes, and I see a full baby. Mm -hmm. 
and yeah wait like, yeah I'm supposed to maybe see a kidney bean and like a heartbeat I'm yeah like, what maybe happening? yeah so I just looked at her and then I looked at my husband and I'm like are you all seeing what I'm seeing like why is no one acknowledging yeah, what's on like, the screen why is no one else yeah shook? yeah yeah so my doctor's like yeah you are much further along than you thought you were I'm like okay how far along and she couldn't she she's a nurse practitioner so she was like using the wand and everything but she's like I would need you to go to an actual actual ultrasound tech Mm -hmm. so we went over to the hospital that I went to just a few weeks earlier and they started the ultrasound and she was like oh yep head to rump 13 and a half weeks you're done with your first trimester (laughs) and she was even like I'm not a bedding woman but I think you're having a boy she's like I can tell pretty close she's like you'll you'll know at your first real appointment she's like but I would bet that this is a boy (laughs) that's how far along I was which is just insane yeah so by the time I had my first real proper appointment with an OBGYN I was 17 and a half weeks they told us the gender was a boy and we were starting in on pregnancy and found out I was obviously pregnant during my surgery and which is just wild it was wild yeah very much everything had to line up perfectly for him to to be here it's a real miracle and I at first they were kind of monitoring me to see you know is he going to have any issues from the radiation or from the surgery? And they quickly deemed that a no, and he looked fine. Everything went fine, which was great. And then about 26 weeks, I started to get very swollen. Like, I wish I could portray through a microphone how swollen I was. Because we would just laugh about it. I mean, my husband could push in my foot, and It it would stay. It would stay. And I went into my appointment. This was 27 and a half weeks. It was on a Wednesday. So we had just moved into my new house. We had my appointment on Wednesday, and I was just about to start going every week because I was going into my third third trimester. And I was like, you know, I've been really swollen. And he was like, yeah, you, you gained more weight this time than you have in future appointment he's like it's it's a bit more than I would expect Mm -hmm. and I was like okay don't know what that means like why yeah like I could tell he was thinking things but he wasn't really telling me Mm -hmm. and so then he was like your blood pressure is not super raised like that's the thing we would be worried about is preeclampsia is if your blood pressure was raised but your blood pressure's not raised. There's no protein in your urine, which is another thing they look for for preeclampsia. I mean, you know this. Yes. But, but yeah, that. yeah, yeah. I, I mean, these are all these things that I had no idea about, yeah. you know? I mean, like, why, when I had my first baby, genuinely, I had no idea why I was peeing on that strip every time. Like, yeah. Like, what are you looking for? I had no idea why I'm peeing in a cup every yeah. appointment. Every time. Yeah. But no, it's, it's to check for that protein in your urine. Yeah. Because that's, like, indicative that your kidneys are failing to function how they should. And it can be a sign of early preeclampsia, you know? Yeah, yeah. And now you know. And now I know. <laughs> and now all of you people know, too. Yeah, look at us. <laughs> but, so you were only swollen at this point, though. No protein in your urine, no headaches. Mm-mm. Your Mm-mm. pressures were still, like, borderline. So yeah. 
he's probably kind of piecing things together, seeing that it could go one way, but, like, at this point, he's just like, okay, like, we'll keep an eye on you. Yeah, and okay. I think he knew he'd see me in a week, you yeah, know. So and like, if it's crazy in a week, we'll talk about it. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, he was very swollen, which was uncomfortable, but a lot of women get swollen in pregnancy. So it's like what I was saying to you. Pregnancy symptoms are either severe or they're pregnancy symptoms. And there's no in-between. There's no in-between. So so that was Wednesday. And then Sunday, we were unpacking and setting up furniture. We were setting up our, like, media console. And I started getting really bad headaches. And I, I didn't say... My doctor said, if you start to get headaches, go straight to labor and delivery. So I started getting headaches and I was just thinking, you know, I'll take a Tylenol. I'll go take a nap and see what happens. Because again, it's either bad or it's pregnancy. Yes. There's no You're in like, between. I could be exhausted from moving all week. Exactly. Stressed, yeah. I'm pregnant and haven't slept. Yeah. I have a freaking headache. And yeah. Caffeine, like. Yeah. A million other things you're probably writing it off to be. You're like, I just need a nap. We're yeah. Fine. And I did not want to be the dramatic girl <laughs> that goes to labor and delivery and nothing's wrong, yes, you know? Yes, everyone's here. Yeah, which in hindsight, I'm like, be that girl. Be that's that girl. Just go. Girl. Who cares? Yes. I mean, you're going to meet your out of pocket max anyway. <laughs> it's true, though. <laughs> like, you are. So yeah. why not have that clarity? That's yes. the mentality I have yes. now. So I take the nap. And wake up and I still, I mean, I was asleep about two hours maybe. Mm-hmm. And I wake up and still had the severe headache. And of course my husband's like, okay, let's go, let's go in. And I'm still reluctant. Yeah. And so I had him go buy a blood pressure cuff and actually, no, he didn't buy it. We had a neighbor that we had just met the night before that told me she was a nurse oh, and she's the labor and delivery nurse. And I had told her how I'd been swollen and all of those things. And she she said, if you ever need a blood pressure cuff, I have one. So, of course, I'm like, okay, go get the blood <laughs> like, pressure cuff. Like, we don't even know their name. We don't know anything about them. But my husband, Colton, knocking on the door, hey, remember me? Where's your blood pressure cuff? Like, I need yeah, it. <laughs> yeah. So he comes back and does it. And my blood pressure was 187 over 112. Which we didn't know what that meant. Like for anyone listening, that's crazy. Yeah. yeah. Crazy. Normal yeah. is like 120 over 80. Yeah. You're healthy. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. But we didn't know. No. And so we Google it and it says, you know, you're having a stroke. And I'm like, no, I'm not. No, so I'm we, fine. yeah. So we did it wrong. Of course. Like, I don't know what's with me, but I cannot. You're just like in denial. Like, yeah. It's just not like it's normal. You know what I mean? Yeah. I feel like you're just like trying to figure out what's happening as it's happening yeah but yeah not being able to actually like piece anything piece together. together yeah 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 so I'm like we probably did it wrong and Colton's like can we just go please like what <laughs> let's like just this. go yeah so we left our house like my brother-in-law came after we were there to get our stuff with my sister and he w- tells the story to us of like it was eerie it was so clear that you left in a hurry things were open drawers were open just knowing you I know you wouldn't have left your house like that so it just was so almost creepy Mm -hmm. to walk through there and see and be able to visualize what potentially was happening Mm -hmm. so we drove to Lone Peak Hospital which is in Utah it's in Draper and I went to labor and delivery 
and they which is also nice that you don't have to go to the er because that would really yeah. suck yeah that would be horrible yeah to yeah the ER and then transfer so. yeah yeah so we went through to labor and delivery and they were really casual like yeah okay it's your first pregnancy and i'm like see this is why i didn't want to come <laughs> yeah so they take me back to the room i don't even know what that is like it's, it's called triage yeah it's yeah just like where they check and see yeah yeah so it's not like a proper room it's just a little small room so they take me back there and put a blood pressure cuff on me and it's just as high and it was like a sh- complete shift of everyone how they were before there were people rushing into the room hooking me up to an iv without saying anything um somebody put a shot in me for the baby's lungs which I know now I didn't know then so they give you a steroid that can help the baby's lungs and you can get two doses of it and that's I guess you know there's a huge difference in their lung development if they get it or if they don't Mm -hmm. so they gave me that first one and then they also connected me to magnesium which you could probably explain better than me but it's essentially to help your brain right if you it's like a brain protector pretty much it just helps it like you know, help you not hopefully have a seizure. Yeah. And it's also helping the baby at the same time, if I remember right, to kind of like continue to de- develop their brain almost and like heighten speed too. Cool. 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 I didn't know that about yeah, the baby. I'll double check on that, but I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a horrible drug. I mean, it's yeah, great it because it saves you. Horrendous. It is horrible. It is yeah. brutal. I have had a lot of sicknesses and things in my life, and that was hell it really was it was awful so then my doctor walked in and it's a Sunday so I'm thinking what are you doing here and you know people are going all over no one's saying anything to us and then we hear them say air meds on the way and I'm like do they know I'm only 28 weeks like what they're like saying things about the baby they're saying things about delivery like I couldn't have a baby yet I'm it's way too early And then my doctor walked in and he said, we're going to move you over to the University of Utah. We can't, you're, you're too critical of care. And if the baby comes in the next two days, which is what I think will happen, we don't have a NICU that can care for him. And I didn't know that different hospitals, and maybe that's ignorance on my part, but just that every hospital is different and their levels of like the higher level of care that they offer yeah and I wish I would have known that before because I think that would have shaped a little bit of you know the doctor I pick or where I want to deliver yeah Yeah, for sure and it's hard I mean it's hard to know and like to anticipate that you're gonna need yeah you don't know level of care you know what I mean yeah but it is fortunate for you that you were close enough oh yeah to like a place like the University of Utah where they literally are the highest level and can handle you know, as early as a 24-weeker. Right, right. And, I mean, it's such a great hospital. It's such a privilege to live Mm -hmm. so close to the University of Utah. So they are getting me ready to be life-lighted, and, I like, I just was still in shock. I I didn't know what was going to happen. I mean, he said, we gave you the first shot for the lungs, and we'll wait 24 hours, and then we'll give you another one. And it takes 24 hours for that second one to be fully in the system and to be effective. Mm -hmm. So I knew we were trying to make it to two days, but that's all I really knew. 
and I didn't know, you know, can babies survive that early? Can ba- I, I had no idea. Yeah. So they, the helicopter got there, the life flight got there. It was the coolest group of nurses, just amazing. You could just tell they knew what they were doing. And I feel so privileged to have been with those women and men and just, I don't know, it, it was a really cool experience to know that somebody has your life in their hands and you trust them to have your life in their hands. Totally. So they were prepared. I mean, they had a labor and delivery nurse, a respiratory therapist, and I can't remember what the other one was, but they were prepared to deliver the baby on the helicopter if they needed to. And my husband could not come on the helicopter, which makes sense. I mean, but poor guy. It's also so difficult. To, yeah. Like, for him, all of a sudden to be like, wow, my wife's situation just went from like, let's just go to the hospital and check it out. To yeah. Like, wow, she's being life flighted and she and my like future baby are in a really, really like scary situation now. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like. And then for him to have to make the drive to the hospital alone. Right. Which was like, about 40 minutes, yeah, 30 to 40. Yeah. 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 And I I just looked at him and, you know, we've had these other health things throughout the year. Yeah. So I, he's been a caretaker before, but I just like grabbed him and said, I love you. The only thing that makes these things worse is if you're hungry. So please stop and get food. I will be fine. Like, I'm going to be fine. But if you don't eat, you're not going to be fine. It's going to make everything worse. Well, but it was like the only thing I could control, you know. I had to start taking control of something because everything felt so out of control. And he says that when I – I think I went – to go to the bathroom before they placed my catheter or something and the nurse grabbed him and was like this is really critical and I need you to drive safe but also know that this is critical and our first priority is survival for your wife and so if we need to take the baby we will because what's essentially happening in preeclampsia is your um, placenta is it giving you too much blood or not enough blood? Or I think it's giving you too much blood. I would say, honestly, I would have to double check. It's yeah. It's been a sec since I've looked into, like, yeah. the actual, what's actually happening in pre. Yeah. But it's essentially, like, your body is just, like, going into shock. Yeah. Kind of. Yeah. Yeah. And your placenta is the cause of it. And mm-hmm. it's, I'm pretty sure it's giving you too much blood. And it thinks you don't have enough, so it's giving you too much because everything's failing. And... The only thing that can cure it is to deliver the baby and to deliver the placenta. And so that's why they have to come early. He was fine. It was just me. I didn't know that about preeclampsia before, that it's – sometimes the baby can go into stress, right? That can happen. But and that's because like your blood pressure will be so out of whack that it's compromising the blood flow to the baby. Exactly. The baby gets distressed because their oxygen is deprived and things like that. But ultimately like – it is just the mom as the host is like rejecting the bit like the baby's food source you know right what I mean? like and you have to get rid of the placenta to kill the mom right so it puts you in these really dire situations of like okay the only way to like save mom at this point is to deliver baby but then you know babies come so so early yeah which is the situation you were put in yeah yeah and you have to kind of weigh out how long can we go? Because every day in the womb is a good day. Yes, yes. 
without compromising mom's, mom's life. life. Yeah, yeah. So I was making jokes of it and trying to make it fun and light because it's how I was coping. And then that same nurse that pulled my husband aside it was was just like, hey, you just need to know how serious this is. Which I appreciated. I felt like I was so in the unknown. No one was really telling us anything. So we took the helicopter ride and it actually was really peaceful, which is interesting. Mm -hmm. I was obviously laying on a a gurney. Is that what it's called? Gurney? Yeah. 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 I was stretcher. Stretcher. Yeah. I I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So I was laying and just looking out the window and it was beautiful and it was loud but quiet and... I don't know. I just felt at peace. And then we got there and they were able to get me pretty stable. And that's the hope is that they can just keep me stable enough to keep the baby in as long as they can. So stable, just like insert. That just means that your pressures were going down. Right. To a level where they knew that your blood perfusion was enough. That like the baby was getting the oxygen that they needed. And you were also like at a functioning level and your heart wasn't under so much stress. Right. Like 180 over 120. Right. Feeling at a stable level. Right. Right. So I think I was in more than 150 range, which is still high. Still high, but comparatively. Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. 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 So I was meeting a bunch of different specialists and, you know, everyone was coming in and talking to us and telling us what was going on and what they were hoping for. But I got to a point where, you know, they said, we're going to keep you here six weeks. If you're still here, we're going to induce labor at that point because anything past that just gets too dangerous. But the goal is two days. So I didn't know if I was going to be there two days. I didn't know if I was going to be there six weeks. And as much as I wanted my son to stay in my womb, thinking of being in the hospital for six, six weeks, weeks was a lot too, yeah. you know? Yes. So then I got my second steroid shot 24 hours after that first one and then that next 24 hours we we were kind of just settling in thinking I think we're going to be here a while like I'm staying pretty in range they take your blood pressure about every 30 minutes Mm -hmm. to see where you're at and then I hit that 48 hour mark which was our first goal and it was almost like instantly once I hit that it was decline mode I started getting headaches again, and I started to just feel sick and bad. And I just knew something was wrong again. Mm-hmm. And I also, I mean, with preeclampsia, your kidneys are failing. And so they were pumping me full of fluids, but I wasn't having any urine no output. So I was a balloon. Like how swollen I was before didn't even compare. So I also felt uncomfortable that way. You were like, I can't bend my fingers. Like, yes. Uh, I, I, I didn't even look like myself. We have a picture right before. And it, it's almost hard to look at for me and even for my husband just because yeah. it wasn't me. It was this balloon person. I yeah, don't know. No, but for real, yeah. You're just yeah. Like, what the heck? Yeah. Like, yeah. Hmm. So – My nurse comes in and takes my blood pressure, and sure enough, it's going up. And they have a protocol that they follow that's, you know, if this, then do this, then if this, then do this. And she got to the end of it, and it wasn't helping. My blood pressure wasn't going down. Everything that had been working wasn't. And so they um, 
wheeled me over to labor and delivery with the hope that I'd come back. And I think we were in there maybe 10 minutes. And then the doctor came in and she said, I I just think this is getting too risky. We need to take the baby. And an epidural actually can help your blood pressure pressure come down as well. Mm Yeah, yeah. So she was like, we need to... We, we need to start moving. So I'm like, like in the next few hours, she's like, no. It's like the, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. She's like, the anesthesiologist is on his way, and he will do your epidural, and we're going to do a C-section. So, I mean, I was no stranger to abdomen surgery. I I had a... You had just recovered. Like, right. Like, what, four and a half months earlier? Yes. Literally. Yeah. Well, let's see. So I had my surgery March... So five, yeah, five months later in August oh is when I was doing this, but it was very different. I mean, they go horizontally. It's very low. Yes. It's not the middle of your abs like my previous surgery was. So they prepped me, took me in, and I had great doctors, great nurses, great everyone. Everyone made the best of a situation that was scary, mm-hmm. and I was I was happy about that. I. I think that something that I learned in this process is that grief is so interesting because you have to grieve loss of many things, not just death, but I had to kind of grieve the loss of what I thought my birth experience was going to be like. And that was really hard. And I think I'm still going through a lot of that grief and, and coping with what my experience was because it was not pretty and it was not beautiful and spiritual and all of these things that I've heard so many people explain their experience as in that same breath I do think that everyone in the room tried to make it the best they could you know mm-hmm. so I'm you know doing the c-section and everything and I also didn't know that you usually throw up when you have a c-section yeah so you know very you're common to yeah. be very nauseous. Yeah, and like laying there asking for a barf bag. Yeah, like, sorry. Yeah, <laughs> and I had really bad acid reflux in my pregnancy, so the combo was not great. Yes, you're like I'm already. Yeah, oh. yeah. So and I had IVs in both arms, so both of my arms are to the side, pinned to the sides. I'm trying to talk through the visuals, and I'm just laying and just every now and again turning my head to the side to throw up it's just ridiculous what is this is stupid the things we do the things we do so they immediately you know they get the baby out and they immediately put him through almost what looks like a drive-through window into the NICU straight in Mm -hmm. and so I didn't get to see him Mm -hmm. and they put him straight through and then Colton was able to go in and meet him and yeah, really cool. They put him in like a plastic bag. Say, yeah, they kind of put him in a plastic bag to keep their body temperature yeah like warm enough essentially mm-hmm. so that they can like facilitate what a womb would be like. Would be like, them, yeah, you know? yeah. So he was in this little plastic bag mm-hmm. and next to Ran Wrap. Yeah, <laughs> that's what it looks like. And we have a sweet picture of Colton, but I'm on Mag again. And I had no idea what was going on. Everything was a blur. So I believe they rolled me in to meet him. I think I had to wait two or three hours after. So they finished the surgery. 
and there then were no complications with your c-section everything no went smoothly. everything went smoothly everything Plus was golden delivered. yes did your pressure start kind of resolving was it uh, soon after or did it take a second they got better but i had high blood pressure for i was on medication for a few months okay yeah. so it i mean i wasn't in critical yeah. ranges Not high enough that they were medicating right right like in that 150 range mm-hmm. so they were medicating me to bring me more down to that 120 130 range so i didn't really meet him till the no, not even the next day. I think it was two days later they were able to wheelchair me in to meet him and see him for the first time. And, you know, I think at this point he was two pounds. He got down to two pounds, three ounces. Oh, my God. So just teeny, teeny, tiny. And we couldn't hold him for a while, obviously. Mm-hmm. They start him on min stim, and that just basically means – they want to give them as little stimulation as possible so that they can just put all of their energy into developing their body mm-hmm. and staying warm in their isolate and trying to recreate that womb experience. Because so, at 28 weeks, I mean, you have to think, those last 12 weeks of pregnancy are huge. Oh, my so goodness, like yes. Sight, hearing, brain development, gut development, like, everything suck and swallow literally like everything except the bones and the skin and like the hair and the skeleton yes develops in the last trimester so it's like right he was doing all of that outside of the womb right which is crazy it's so cool like, i mean see a baby grow pretty much which is wild yeah and it's amazing that we have the technology we do yeah. now because i have pictures of yeah. every day that we were at the nicu and so i get to see his progress which is really cool yeah and, yeah, just what you said, I mean, he, his skin was almost translucent. Mm-hmm. It was very red, and you could see more. I mean, I couldn't see his bones, but it was red because of the blood, you know. And yeah. so he was a teeny tiny guy, but ready to just take on the next few months. I don't know if we were ready, but yeah. he was. Yeah. And that's, I mean, yeah, yeah wild wild when you think about it and you already told me but like walk me through your routine of doing life and doing a NICU baby that needed you every day yeah because that is no joke yeah you know what I mean it's one thing to bring a newborn home and for a newborn to need you 24 7 but it's like a whole other to like have to travel to your baby and be there for them when you you're still trying to do life at the same time yeah yeah so we I was in the hospital five days after he was born because my blood pressure was still pretty high and they were monitoring that. And then in conjunction with the C-section, I also think that when you have a baby in the NICU, they They let you stay. Yeah, they let you stay a little (laughs) bit longer. So we were able to visit him while we were in the NICU. They had certain times we could come because he was on the minstim. And then I got um, discharged on a Sunday, and we went through the NICU, and that was brutal, saying bye, you know, leaving without your baby, and also just not knowing what was to come and what to expect, because they tell you, you know, probably around your due date is when they'll come home, because essentially, I mean, they still have to do what they would have done in the womb. But that's just an estimate, and we can't give any guarantees, and it could be longer, it could be shorter. 
So we just didn't know what was ahead and what our routine was going to look like, what anything was going to look like. So what ended up happening is we got home Sunday. My husband went right back to work that next day, and I went back to work a few days later. So that same week I came home. And we would wake up and start work around 6.30 or 7 so that we could be off by 3.30-ish and then drive an hour to get to the hospital. And then we would stay as long as we could and then drive an hour home, get home by 9 or 10, eat dinner, do it again the next day. It was exhausting. It's exhausting. It was exhausting. Opinion. Like, how did you do it? Like, in you could. Respect, you're just like, yeah. you do what you have to you do. You just do it. Yeah. But, like, it's crazy. We had a lot of support, obviously. Like, it feels... I, I couldn't tell this experience and make it sound like it was all us because it just, it, it takes a village, even when the baby's not home, you know, mm-hmm. because we were in, I mean, every day it took everything just to have our basic needs met. Like eating was a lot of work and remembering to sleep and remember, you know, all of these things. Yeah. And then I was pumping every three hours mm-hmm. and um, trying to get my supply in and trying to, you know, have food for him because especially with preemies that breast milk is so yeah yeah and if you can't I mean they have donor breast milk and it'll be okay but I really wanted to and it again it felt like the one thing I could contribute or control Mm -hmm. but we would call the NICU every morning and ask how the night went and that would kind of shape how our day went Mm -hmm. which was hard if he had a bad night then all we're thinking about all day is wanting to be there and feeling horrible that we're not there and can't be there Mm -hmm. but I didn't if I took maternity leave now then by the time he got home home, you couldn't have any time exactly exactly and I'd only been at my job a month when I had him I started August 2nd and I had him August 31st so I didn't even really have time off or you're like, I'm brand new here. Hi. Yeah. Like, I'm like, you don't even know my name, but I just had a baby. <laughs> that's crazy. You're like, look at every yeah. baby yeah. ever. Yeah, literally. Oh. So, yeah, it was interesting. We'd call, you know, we'd call throughout the day too, but that morning call really shaped mm-hmm. how our day would be. And the, the NICU's a roller coaster. Some days are really great and you get really hopeful, and some days are really hard and mm-hmm. – you have no hope and some days one of you has a lot of hope and the other doesn't or vice versa some days you both feel good some days you both feel bad and I think the hardest thing was that no one could understand what we were going through Mm -hmm. and even if you've had a preemie baby like I had a few people that um, had preeclampsia and delivered around 34 to 36 weeks Mm -hmm. and some of them had NICU stays even two weeks and I recognized that that two weeks was probably the hardest two weeks of their life. And I didn't feel like anyone could comprehend having this extended stay. Even though I'm sure there's plenty of people who could, it felt lonely. It felt like the only people that got it were me and my partner. Mm -hmm. And no one else could come meet him. No one else could go see him. No one understood what that day-to-day really looked like with us. And it was lonely. It was hard. It was really hard. Things like you said, like there will always be people out there that have had like similar experiences to you. You know, someone else that's had a NICU baby that was there for longer than a week, you know? right? But in that, 
their experience is different than yours. Yeah. And yeah. so even in the same experience, it's different. Yeah. And it's lonely and it's hard to feel like somebody can meet you there and like be there and support you in that when really nobody truly understands. Yeah. You yeah. Know? And that's just kind of the reality of it. Yeah. But for you to have had, you know, your husband in that, do you think that it, like brought you closer together like yeah obviously it was hard I'm sure and especially the days where one of you were like dude he's doing great and you're like no bro he's like tiny still <laughs> yeah Not okay this sucks yeah. yeah 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 honestly I feel really grateful because it did bring us closer I think it could just as easily do the opposite yeah so I feel really grateful I think we both just gave everything to each other of you know th- this is all we have and mm-hmm. We're going to carry each other to the finish line because that's all we can do. And like I said, we were the only people who could understand what the other was going through. So we would hurt with each other. We would celebrate with each other and we would feel different than each other sometimes and just have to meet each other wherever we were at that day. Mm -hmm. And I have to say, I'm so grateful for the partner that I have because he always was so good at that at meeting me wherever I was instead of trying to make me see the bright side or make yeah. me, you know, just totally. letting me feel whatever I felt. Like, yeah. Like you feel what you needed to feel. Yeah. Yeah. Because I think it would have been really hard even like on top of everything that made it hard, but to feel like you couldn't, you know, sit with your emotions where you were. Yeah. Like you weren't validated in that, I think would have made it even harder. Yeah. So that's really fortunate for you that you had you know, in your partner, someone that allowed that space for you. Yeah. Because, you know, I don't think that happens all the time. Yeah. It's really lucky. Yeah, I feel really lucky. And even people that you talk to, you know, I think sometimes it's easier to silver line things. And I get that. Yeah. And a lot of people would try to do that with this situation. Like, at least you're sleeping through the night. Or at least he'll be on a schedule when he gets home. And that felt so horrible joke yeah yeah also yeah exactly exactly I know that was hard too though because then when he came home we were going through the newborn phase but in a lot of people's minds like we had a ton of support when he was first born they're like oh he's been here for like a couple months yeah like you have a three-month-old now no, he is a newborn. He's a newborn because he did the three months of the womb, outside of the womb, but it's still the same. Yeah, they gestation. They count it as if they're still inside of. Him. Yes, yeah. So he came home at you know forty-one weeks or forty-two weeks. So it's he's a newborn. He's yeah. a newborn. So and how long was this whole NICU stay? Eighty-two days. Yeah, eighty-two days. Who's counting? <laughs> no one. Yeah, eighty-two days. You become. Close to those people. Yeah, your NICU nurses yeah. probably will be your best friends. Like, yeah. I remember before I went to nursing school, I actually volunteered in a NICU for a couple of years because that's what I thought I wanted to do. And there would be families that would come back like years later. Even, oh, yeah. With their like six-year-old and be like, oh, my gosh, like, Haley, look how big our nurse yeah. and our baby is, you know? And, yeah. And those nurses remember, though. Oh, yeah. Because you spend – so every much day time, like pouring your heart and soul into helping this baby grow yeah and then like you do you see him thrive and it's so rewarding you know yeah because being obviously I was never a NICU nurse but seeing the work that they do and like how hard it is to be the caretaker you know it's 
like mind-boggling even to like try and comprehend what it's like to be the mom or the dad on that side or like the parents of a NICU baby but to be the nurse that's also like the one who's in charge of them thriving or like living yeah yeah Yeah. that stress is hard yeah but then to see them years later and be like wow like I grew that baby yeah I did (laughs) yeah you know it's amazing yeah and even to add to that I mean they have to be your emotional support too which is a whole other layer they're caring for this baby and doing the medical side but then I mean these parents they're in one of the hardest things they've ever been through and you're all they have to ask questions or to lean on so they have to provide that emotional support to you too so yeah we had some really great primary nurses which a primary nurse is just you can pick a few day nurses and a few night nurses when you're going to have an extended stay Mm -hmm. and then whenever they're working they get assigned to your baby so you get to see them more frequently and they get to know your baby and Mm -hmm. Things like that, which makes for a really great experience for the parents. But also I think it's nice for the baby because they have somebody that knows their things and yes. they're, you know. Yes, they those... get familiar with them and, and the nurse becomes familiar with the baby. Exactly. And so it just is way more smooth. Yeah, for yeah. Them and they're growing and they're thriving. Yeah. So we still talk to all of them and I love that. send pictures. My son just turned one. So, of course, we sent all the one-year-old photos. And, I mean, we'll – we'll keep in touch with them forever. I mean, they changed our life. They saved our baby. They kept him healthy and it's amazing. They're the work they're doing is just incredible. It is. It really is. And like to think now that your your son is a year old. I know. Like how would you even describe this last year? Obviously, it had a rocky start. <laughs> but like a year old. I know. Crazy. I know. One year. What a milestone. It is a milestone. Yeah. I it's been interesting because his first year, I think, was still some of that survival mode. Mm-hmm. He came home on oxygen. He was a high-risk baby. He had some feeding issues and things like that. But then even when those things went away, I still was thinking he was a high-risk baby, and I was afraid of everything. And mm-hmm. in the NICU, everything is numbers, and they need to do this to, to get out, and they need to do X, and they need to do Y, so then they come home. And those are the things that you're obsessed with. Like, mm-hmm. he only ate 20 milliliters instead of 21 milliliters. Yeah. Like, he's he's not okay. He's today. not okay, mm-hmm. even though that's totally normal. Yes. And for any other baby, you wouldn't, think you wouldn't even know. You yeah. wouldn't even know. And same with the oxygen things. Like, their numbers would dip. And if your baby wasn't on a monitor, you wouldn't even know. Yeah. And that happens, you know. So that first year, honestly, I think – I was just waiting for something to be wrong because his likelihood of having complications was much higher than mm-hmm. a full-term baby. And yeah. he has all these follow-up appointments. I mean, the first six months we were at a doctor every week easily and now about every six months and he's seeing all kinds of specialists. So I'm just waiting yeah. during this year. Who's going to tell me when something's wrong? Cause there's no way that something's not going to be wrong, especially with everything that's been happening. So for me, I feel like the year mark was like, you can breathe, like just breathe. You have a healthy baby. He's happy. He's growing. He's funny. He's chunky. He's all of the like things. He literally is so chunky. He's so chunky. You would never know. You would never know. And I feel like hitting a year for me was very 
much a milestone of like, okay, you need to move forward now. You have to start thinking ahead. You have to start allowing yourself to be present, which <laughs> thinking ahead and be present, but just realizing that like, you don't have to wait for the next thing to be wrong. He's okay. Everything's okay. He's a normal baby. And it's been good for me. I think now I'm finally at a place where I can actually effectively and healthily cope with. I don't know if that's an actual word. word. It's a word. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) sure. Cope with what we've gone through in the last year, year and a half. And it's been good. I feel like it. that day hit and it was just this huge lift off my shoulders for me. Yeah, I can only imagine. And... I mean, moving forward, obviously, the future is always unknown. Right. And you'll take it as it comes because you're amazing and you just oh. <laughs> literally are rolling with the punches life throws you, girl. I'm like, you but you know what? Than most people <laughs> ever go through in their whole life in the last year. But you, you would do it. I mean, yeah, you do it so many time. people say that of like, you're so amazing. Or like, I can't believe you got through this. But you would too it, yeah. because you have no choice. Any of us can do it when you have to. And I hope that people realize that, like, you have more strength and more ability than you even know. And it makes me emotional to even talk about it because I can't believe that I did that. And I'm really proud of surviving it, let alone now getting to a place where I feel like I can thrive in it. But. I hope that everyone knows they could do it. I just hope they don't have to do it. (laughs) You're like, I would never wish it on anybody. But it's true. I think we really do kind of rise to the occasion no matter what it ends up being. Yeah. And hearing stories like yours, I think, is empowering to others, especially when they do find themselves in a situation maybe similar to yours to know that, like, you know what, she did it. Like, I can do it. Yeah. That's the whole essence of this podcast is like building each other in these crazy stories of motherhood. Like be they, look, I had a baby and it's great and this yeah. first year was like crazy. Be it like I had a Nikki baby and now look at him. He's a year old and yeah. he's thriving. You yeah. know what I mean? Everyone's story is different, but to like build each other in our stories and know that like we are so strong and there are so many things that we can do that – you don't even know is in you yeah. until you're like in the Forced thick of it and to you're do like, it. oh yeah. shit, I gotta do it. Yeah. But yeah. you do. Yeah. You just do it and moms are freaking rock stars. Yeah. Moms are rock stars. And I hope to like, I hope it can create a community for people that when they are in these situations, I think finding those people, that that's my hope with sharing my story is that if somebody else finds themselves in this situation it doesn't feel as lonely as it did for me because I hope they could come to me or talk to me or something, you know, find some sort of connection, fully recognizing that I will never understand Mm -hmm. and I can't, I can't compare my situation, but to hopefully reduce some of that loneliness, you know? Yeah, totally. And I think you will, just like you said, I think if anybody finds themselves like you found yourself, they'll know they can turn to you, which is amazing. So thank you for being that person for someone out there because I truly believe you will be. Thank you. Thank you. Well, you guys, after listening to that, I think we can all agree that Jamie's story really doesn't need much further explanation from me. Being an outsider to her experience, it's hard to wrap your brain around everything she's been through. But to sit with her and see just this strength 
and light that she emulates is something that I don't think I'll ever forget. She is amazing, and I know that you can feel that through listening to her story. Before wrapping up, I did want to take two seconds, though, to educate us on two points that we covered in the podcast that I couldn't totally remember in the moment. The first of that being the blood supply to the placenta in preeclampsia, which, if we're being totally honest, professionals still truly don't understand what the root cause of preeclampsia is, but it is kind of broken down ultimately to show us that it comes down to a compromised blood supply in which the placenta is not receiving enough blood. So essentially this disrupts the whole supply between mother and baby, which then sends signals to the mother's body that results in high blood pressure, loss of kidney function, and those again are those two big signs that your doctor is always watching for in your prenatal appointments when they're having you pee every time and seeing if you have protein in your urine and obviously taking your blood pressure every week to make sure that your heart is in a stable range. The second thing I totally could not remember about in the moment was about magnesium in preterm delivery as far as a neuroprotectant for the fetus. And after a little bit of reading and some research on my own, I did in fact find out that magnesium has been seen to decrease the rate of cerebral palsy in preemies, which is huge. I will link two articles in my stories this week along with the episode so you can do some more reading on that if you want to. And with that, you guys, I think we can all walk away saying we are definitely a little more educated this week. If you're not already, follow along on Instagram at undereducated.pod and you know what to do. Catch us here next week for another episode. Mm-hmm.